great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And Chelsea, should we be trying our hand at the lottery since evidently we can predict the future? Yes, we did. Uh, we did predict Carrie's latest handbag, which was a real shock. We should give credit to the caller whose name, I'm sorry, I do not remember, but she is the origin of this. She did ask us on a recent hotline episode if we thought, one, what we thought of the J.W. Anderson Pigeon Clutch, and two, would Carrie carry it? And we said yes, although I think we both missed the opportunity to make the point that Carrie would carry this bag because a pigeon is kind of like an unofficial symbol of New York City. And she loves to rep her boyfriend, the city. You know, she has her New York State necklace, her New York or nowhere tote bag. This is a logical extension of that. Yes, the only man that hasn't left her yet, New York City. I don't presume to think that Molly and Danny and the and just like that wardrobe team listen to our podcast. I feel like any costume designer that's costuming sex in the city and like didn't have the J.W. Anderson pigeon bag like would be bad at their jobs. You know, like that had to be there. Yeah, it was very kind for people to say that Sarah Jessica Parker must listen to the podcast. We hope to Christ she doesn't. (laughs) But I think it's just a case of great minds thinking alike. I will say that I woke up Wednesday morning and had the shit scared out of me when I saw 50 DMs first thing in the morning. And I was like, oh, God, we're being canceled. The day has finally come. What happened? (laughs) I know. No, that's terrifying. There's nothing more terrifying. (laughs) Than having that many notifications. I think this pigeon clutch situation is indicative of the fact that we are clearly entering into a new era of novelty handbags. So we have the JW clutch. We have the gremlin bag that Gucci set down the runway recently that looks like a stuffed animal. And then now the Balenciaga teddy bear purse, which looks like a teddy bear that was given to some we need to talk about Kevin type child and just destroyed in the creepiest way. Didn't they also do some Frito-Lay bag or am I hallucinating? Or was that just a model holding Frito-Lays? No, they did They did Balenciaga chip bags that were also clutches. So yeah, this is clearly going to be a thing that will inevitably trickle down into fast fashion, but I'm here for the pigeon. I like it. And uh, this was the sign from the universe that we needed to finally go in on this bag together. It's ordered, it's coming, and we're going to timeshare it. We are. I mean, your wife did find the best price for it. I'm not sure if this is a reputable (laughs) online retailer. I was sent a DHL tracking code, so, right? I I couldn't have just been scammed. If it's a bootleg one, that might be even cooler. That's what we need to get into. We'll get one, then we'll knock it off. (laughs) Then we can go to Hollywood Boulevard and like lay out blankets with like 10,000 little fake pigeon clutches sitting there. Do you think that we should be talking about our semi-illegal operations on a podcast? Probably not. But I do think that there's a real opportunity there for some enterprising counterfeiter. I guess we didn't mention that 
And just like that has started filming. I think that the people need to get this news the way that we got this news, which was like... Being ambushed <laughs> by it without context. No, I thought it was another fitting, right? Sarah Jessica Parker posted that and it said first exterior shot. And I was like, that's weird. What does that mean? It seems to be a costume fitting. Nah, literally the first exterior shot of And Just Like That features Charlotte and Carrie at some store shopping away. The pigeon clutch being worn during the day with a jumpsuit is an interesting choice. It never occurred to me to carry that bag during the day. Oh, that's a nocturnal bag? I think so, right? I think what's more interesting is in the behind the scenes photos that we actually got first, it would seem you would have thought that those overalls, coveralls would have been rolled up so that you could see the Fendi little anklets Mm -hmm. ankle holster better and then she's also wearing the dior platform high heels from the first film correct yeah the dior gladiator heel it was introduced in the first film and i think she wore a few different versions of them in the first movie that was a throwback and the jumpsuit that she wore was vintage was like modified vintage and some sort of like aviation suit a flight suit I think Molly and Danny want us to know that Carrie over the summer saw Top Gun Maverick (laughs) and she's feeling it. I like this look. We're back to a very up-down Carrie look, a very season two, season three. I'm going to mix a bunch of things, but also with an added surreal element, that being the pigeon purse that I think was always going to be the natural evolution of Carrie's style that kind of got disrupted during the films where she kind of became glossier, sleeker. Yeah. What else do we have to talk about? Is that it for Sex in the City stuff? Blessedly, yes. But the storm has started. We will not find peace until this show stops filming and then we'll get a brief respite and then it'll be back again. Because guess what? The second season I am, I am assuming is going to premiere during the 25th anniversary of the show, which is June 9th or something. Well, thank God. As the parasites of the Sex in the City extended universe... <laughs> We need new content to feed off of so we don't like wither and die or worse, become totally irrelevant. So I think we're a little late to the game, but we're catching up on some TV and it feels we'd be remiss running a pop culture podcast if we did not talk about the Netflix phenomenon Dahmer. It's super fucked up, but I've enjoyed watching it. I haven't finished it, though. I've still only gotten to episode five because Tat wants to watch it with me, but she falls asleep during every episode. So it's been a slow progression. So you don't want me to spoil it for you? No, it's fine. You can spoil it. I'm completely kidding. It's a true case. There's nothing to fucking spoil. (laughs) Well, I know that, but... I'm sure I've missed a lot. Yeah, it's funny because earlier this week you were like, have you watched Dahmer at all? It's like, oh, I binged it the first weekend. Don't you worry. But you are at the precipice of where the show, and this feels weird to qualify this way, gets insanely good because maybe the saddest episode is episode six. Right. I mean, I enjoy watching it, but it does feel disgusting. It does make me feel like I need to take a piping hot 20 minute long mental health shower. Yeah, true crime as entertainment has always been an icky moral territory. And I think those lines have gotten even blurrier as we've shifted from documentaries to scripted podcasts to now limited series with gigantic production budgets. Yeah, because none of the victims' families were involved in this or supported this. 
or seemingly were even let known that this was happening. Yeah, that doesn't seem great. But I think what separates this from other movies about Dahmer, of which there have been a bunch, is starting in episode six and going to the end of the series, it is primarily told from the perspective of the victims, of the families who had to deal with the fallout of this. Okay, that's cool. And I think part of the reason that people are mad about this show in particular is it's really well done. Look, Daddy Ryan Murphy, when he does it right, he does it right. They're not all winners, but this show is good, even if it's fucked up and creepy. I will say, I think where people also get fucked up is we are not attracted to Jeffrey Dahmer. We are attracted to Evan Peters, who is playing Jeffrey Dahmer. But like, why? Like, I understand the concept of geek chic, but this is no Jarvis Cocker. You know what I mean? Did you see that man when he took his clothing off for that mugshot? See, I'm the fucking weirdo. Yeah, that's like not right. He's not hot at all. I've sent, I've, thankfully I've found memes, one of which that I've been sending around to our friend Steven, who also watched Dahmer and watches Real Housewives, is it's Dorit sobbing and the, the wording is just like, please let Evan Peters be in a normal ro- role so I can find him hot in peace. And that's really how I feel. I need this man to be in something normal. Yeah. I think I only know him from American Horror Story. Oh, you didn't watch Mayor of Easttown? Oh, yeah, I watched that. I forgot he was in that. That's true. All men blur together for you, so you can be you can be forgiven. Love seeing Niecy Nash, my favorite celesbian. Yeah, I think the most disturbing part of what I've watched so far was the transcript of the real phone call from Jeffrey Dahmer's neighbor, played by Niecy Nash in the series, to the police following up after she had called them because she saw like a incoherent 14-year-old escape from his apartment. The officer that responded at the scene basically gaslit this woman into thinking that it was all chill, it wasn't actually a child, that they had actually done their due diligence, which clearly they had not. So stupid at best, lazy and racist at worst. Either way, these people should not have jobs, clearly. Dahmer was a white man living in Milwaukee. He lived in a predominantly POC neighborhood. And so when he interfaced with the cops, the cops looked like him. So they were willing to take his word over the community. It's like, okay, sure. But like, can these people, like are law enforcement trained to read vibes Like, this man's vibes must have been fucked. I'm sorry. Like, I don't think he's fucking Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? The fact that people set foot in his apartment and didn't get any sort of, like, sense is crazy. I mean, they certainly smelled something. That's also the most terrifying part. I thought what you were going to say... We need more empaths in law enforcement, clearly. Uh, I'm sure they'll get right on that. But I thought you were going to say, and maybe I don't know when this occurs, but the most disturbing part involving Niecy Nash, I thought, is when you see from her perspective, she's like hearing drills and shit. Ugh, yeah. Anyway, she's incredible. I hope she gets nominated Best Supporting Actress in a limited series. She's great. But this makes me wonder, like, are we going to need progressively more fucked up serial killer limited series to, like, satiate our need for true crime shit? Here's what I more wonder is we're getting to the end place of covering true crime. And I do worry that 
quite in a uh, scream to copycat fashion that people are just going to start committing murders so that they can have popular podcasts that then become limited series. Right. Actually, I should delete this because I am going to write that as an a- my A24 script. That's my bodies, bodies, bodies. No one fucking take that idea, okay? <laughs> Shall we get into Blonde? Something maybe even darker than Dahmer? I was not expecting a horror movie. I thought this would just be another sad biopic like Judy or Selena. Yeah, I think the people getting upset at this movie is kind of threefold. You have the people that went to Netflix that thought that this was just going to be a biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody or My Week with Marilyn or something. Then you have people who just don't agree with the idea of a fictionalized story of a, a real person. So they reject even Joyce Carol Oates's novel Blonde. And then you have people like me that don't ag- agree with how Andrew Dominic adapted the source material. Right. I tend to find online hate overblown. And I had assumed the hate that I read online was hyperbole. It was not. Blonde is everything the internet is saying. Yeah, I actually didn't read anything that the internet was saying about it until after I saw it. And it made watching it without any context all the more shocking to me. Did you not even know about the talking fetus scene? I knew, yes. I had heard about, I guess, the fetus, the abortion stuff. But I didn't realize that she was having a whole ass conversation with a CGI fetus. Also, who wrote the fetus's dialogue? Like Mike Pence? Like, mommy, are you going to kill me again? Like, what the fuck is that? Also, I will say, when they said a talking fetus, they show... It was not a look who's talking fetus, just to clarify. I know. The mouth didn't move, which is what I was expecting. Also, that Miranda July voice... That the fetus is doing. So Miranda July, you're totally correct. Okay, so to go back, I found Blonde offensive. The cavalier use of female trauma is not even entertainment, but a thesis that beautiful women should be punished. That Marilyn's own belief that she should be treated like this is not only validated, but it is treated as truth. That she is nothing but a dumb slut who deserved to be victimized because that is what is right is fucking sickening yeah also the idea that she had no joy in her life no agency in her life at all it's a film that makes you wonder did Marilyn ever have consensual (laughs) sex I know I mean the depictions of of sexual assault of I mean was there even a depiction of sex yeah she had the threesome with those guys that seemed cool although that didn't actually happen unfortunately No. The one glimmer of fun they gave her in this was just fabricated. Which caused me while watching it to Google, was Marilyn Monroe in a thruple? No, evidently she was not. But yeah, imagine living a whole ass life. Then someone takes the worst parts of your life, invents new terrible parts of your life that didn't even happen, and then spins it into like a three hour long version of the Prodigy's Smack My Bitch Up music video and calls it a biopic. It's just like, it's fucked up. It's dark. Ana de Armas is either screaming, crying, being stupid. Throwing up. (laughs) Being stupider than I think the real Marilyn ever was or being violated. Those are Marilyn's four actions in this movie. And one and sometimes all four are occurring in a scene. Yeah. She was so much more than this. She was a great comedic actress. She was someone that read, that loved literature, which they touched upon a bit. She had female friends. She wasn't just someone that was only 
passed around from like disgusting abusive man to disgusting abusive man. I mean, I'm sure she encountered plenty of disgusting abusive men, but it was very dark and upsetting to watch. So that is my issue with it. So I started reading Joyce Carol Oates' Blonde. You will forgive me. I decided to start doing this on Monday. It is a 700-page book. But I was flipping around because I was like, did the fucking abortion scene happen? And it does. But I think what is lost in translation is it is more nuanced in Joyce Carol Oates' book. The way that Andrew Dominic has chosen to show this at every turn, it seems like he hates women. And I hate when people say this about movies, and I've never felt this way, but I truly do. Like, again, I thought the discourse around how anti-abortion it was was going to be overblown. It is completely correct. Like, yeah, it was worse. It was actually worse than I thought it was yeah. going to be. The director has chosen to make this film about a woman who was forced to get an abortion she didn't want, and that event hurtled her into a downward spiral marked by unrelenting trauma that feels pornographic. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. But as for the filmmaker's intentions, it's like people also make that argument about Fassbender, right? That he was like a sadist that just subjected his female leads to the most fucked up shit, most like, much like this director did with Marilyn. But then there's also people that are like, well, he's really just saying like, this is how cruel the world actually is. And this is like what actually happens to people. So you, you can kind of look at it from both sides. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. But yes, of course, I generally agree that this very much exploited Marilyn Monroe. Question for you. What do you think got it its NC-17 rating? Ana de Armas's excessive nudity, uh, her getting face-fucked by JFK. I think that's what did it. Or that vagina POV while getting an abortion. It also at times feels Lynchian. Like, when I was watching it, it reminded me... Yeah, but it wishes. Because David Lynch can make a movie where there are a lot of different visual styles and still it feels cohesive, but this just felt chaotic. Also, was I high... Or did the aspect ratio change? Oh, the aspect ratio change. I thought what you were going to say is towards the end when she is in her home in Brentwood, does the Laura Palmer theme just start playing? Because also, yes. <laughs> okay, that I missed. I will say that there were a few things about this film I did like, one of which is the Vangelis-esque soundtrack done by Nick Cave, who, when I was looking up the score today on Spotify, also did the soundtrack for Dahmer. Oh, Wow. And then I will say the hypnotic yet violent intrusion of the cameras on the red carpet. That did look cool, but it felt very much like a music video. This yes. whole film felt a lot like a music video. It was also, I found it a little distracting that so many of the scenes were clearly like recreations of very specific photographs of her. And I'm not talking about like the magazine covers or the scene from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I'm saying just like scenes where she was just sitting around talking were like copied from existing photos. So it just distracted me. It was like watching a photo talk or something. If you're a real Marilyn head, if you are someone that has experienced sexual assault, domestic violence, do not see this movie. This movie is, again, I normally shy away from language like this but like it will be triggering as fuck to you during that scene where joe dimaggio was like throwing the nude photos of her and like beating her and being like you're just like a fucking slut you piece of meat or like whatever tat was like 
God, I'm so glad I'm not straight. And I'm like, I don't think it's like this. <laughs> also, domestic violence exists in the queer community also. And she's just like, yeah, I think it's kind of like this more often than people would like to admit. <laughs> Like, very dark. I mean, certainly men's virgin whore complex is something that exists exclusively in heterosexual relationships. But also, I thought you were going to remark on the fact that she calls all men daddy. Daddy, because he comes in and is throwing nude photos. She's like, I'm sorry, daddy. The room's all messy. No, the worst one is when she tripped on the beach and had a miscarriage, which there's no evidence of this ever happening. And starts screaming like, Daddy, come deliver the baby. It's like, what the fuck is this? Uh, yes, and that is either before or after the infamous fetus talking to her scene, which is just her in the garden, uh, which is very Miranda July, the future, you, me, me and everyone me, we know. Me, you, and everyone okay, we know. Okay, I'm getting that in everywhere... Everything, everything everywhere. all at once. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Confused. You're not going to do to me what you did to the last one, are you, mama? Imagine your fetus talking to you like that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Who do you think runs this show? My fetus would be like, can I please eat something other than sweet green? Like, I'm actually dying in town here. I'm not sure who this movie is for because those that know even a little bit about Marilyn Monroe are not going to be happy. And those that only know, like, the idea of a Marilyn Monroe are not going to like this film. There's well, a- also, they'll just assume that was her life. Right. This movie did not need to be about Marilyn Monroe. It could have been a fictionalized character. Like, one of Bette Midler's best performances, because I always have to bring it back to Bette Midler, is this movie called The Rose, where she plays a fictionalized version of Janis Joplin. So yes, there are some aspects of her character's personality, her life that are Janis Joplin, but it's not like she's singing Janis Joplin's songs. Right. You know, like it's a different character. And I think that Blonde should have been like that because I do think it's irresponsible. I think this film should have been directed by Sofia Coppola. And I don't say that just because... She's the first famous female director I can think of. She is very good at directing fragile women and also very famous women whose stories have been maligned throughout history. I'm thinking of Marie Antoinette. Right. And also just like rich, famous people yeah, as the central protagonist. The other thing I thought when this film ended was I would die to know what Kim Kardashian thought of this movie. She probably thought it was a fucking bummer like we did. Like, it's not a fun film to watch. And there's a lot of movies that aren't fun that are good, right? Like, it doesn't, it's not about that. It's just, yeah, this, it didn't do it for me. Although, you know what? What did you think of Ana de Armas, though? Because I thought she was good for the most part. I mean, obviously, like, you hear her Spanish accent slip in on more than one occasion, but, you know, Nicole Kidman does that too. In the words of Harry Styles, what I liked about this acting was it was acting. You know, it's a very Baroque performance, and I do think she's very good. I like her as an actress in general. Um, Despite the misstep of... um, Deepwater? Yeah. I was going to say, this is a rough year for her, but I think she will get nominated. I hope she does, and I think she's going to do incredible work. But I did think throughout this movie, like, wow, she did all of the acting for this movie. And I would love to And topless at that. I don't know how Andrew Dominic convinced her to do some of this stuff, because if you haven't seen the film, and I suggest you don't, when we say she's getting face-fucked by JFK... 
it is, I mean, it truly looks like a Brazzers video or something. The camera is an extreme close-up that is just above her upper lip. And you see her hands in frame. She's sucking that dick. And then it is also the ugliest JFK I've ever seen in the history of cinema. I did enjoy that, like, for one of the first times portrayed in in media, it's the true JFK, which is he had a horrible back. He's naked in bed with, like, a back brace on. Not sexy. On to fashion? Sure. I don't know how I get out of that dark headspace, though. I'm actually really struggling. Not even this Lueve show. Can distract me from how fucked that was. Really, because J.W. Anderson continues to design things for what I'll call a Chelsea Fairless lifestyle. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I, I loved this collection. I really did. I love the Anthurium pieces. The accessories are beautiful as always. And also, if there was ever a reason to navigate from the default view on Vogue Runway to the detail view, this collection is it. It's all about the details. We should say that the anthurium is your favorite flower. It's one of them. But it's interesting to see this because the anthurium has been a trendy flower in floral design for a minute, right? Right. Because the 80s have very much come back. And that was just a very popular flower of that time period. And we've seen them in fashion shows before. Like Rodarte did a collection a few years ago that didn't have any like anthurium prints or motifs, but like... The models all were carrying them and like had them in their hair and stuff. And Dolce and Gabbana did some anthurium prints very recently, but nothing is really hit like this. Yeah, the only thing that would have been more perfect for you is if they had done a caftan version. Yeah. So I think we will see the anthurium really trickle down from this to fast fashion to homewares, all of that sort of shit. It just feels inevitable. To a New York Times article talking about how the anthurium is about to go extinct. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Also, I have an update. There is going to be a Loewe store on Rodeo Drive soon. Thank fucking God. Because as we discussed on a previous episode, the closest one to us now is the Cabazon Outlet, which is like a two-hour drive. Well, the the South Coast Plaza, the Cabazon Outlet is like an outlet, Lueve. Yeah, it's an outlet. Right, but they chose to open the first Lueve store in Southern California in the OC and not Los Angeles. Which is weird. But the one on Rodeo is basically coming in between the Prada store and the men's Dior store. Got it. So I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. Thank God. And we'll be there. And I can't wait to look like a minimalist, whimsical thought in that short slip dress with the anthurium just covering one boob. Well, we need to talk about the shortness of some of the dresses. (laughs) That was like obscene. Yeah, man. Donald Trump's going to run for president again, I'm sure. he's gonna, He can't grab us by the pussy. Our pussies are out. You try to do it. That's like a dress for a woman that wants to constantly be walking around like the copper tone baby. <laughs> and then I also thought those Minecraft pixelated sweaters and pants, like not for me, but I could definitely see Justin Bieber in it. Yeah, someone will wear that for sure. But as always, the accessories are great. The shoes are great. I even like those weird, like, Minnie Mouse clog heels. I fuck with it. Saint Laurent? Yes. It was said that the collection was inspired by the way that Martha Graham dressed her company in tubular dresses in her 1930s production, Lamentation, as well as Saint Laurent collections in the 80s. Although I do have one slight question, because I did go back and look at 
Yves Saint Laurent collections in the 1980s. And I go, mm, I don't see one hooded dress in this. This is feeling a little Azadine Alaya to me. No, he made hooded dresses. Did he? he? Did, yeah, he did for sure. And so did Claude Montana. And I also saw a lot of him in this. Like the, I mean, Saint Laurent was obviously doing same things around the same period. But yeah, it's all about that that power shoulder. I mean, imagine walking down the street in these outfits. Like you'd just be like the fiercest bitch. Well, I would have to climb on your shoulders or vice versa for us to fit in these dresses because <laughs> they're meant for a 5'10 model in five-inch heels, so... True, but I think between this collection and last season's collection, it is so nice to see him design long dresses or really any dress that isn't a micro mini dress with like a Peter Pan collar or some shit, you well, know? he knew what JW was going to do. He's like, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah, I think it's really, um, really sexy and fab. And I did like that the color palette, which was very muted, but like different muted colors were inspired by Polaroids of Yves Saint Laurent fittings from the 80s. That's cool. Yeah. Gorge. All right, on to the show that garnered no attention at all, Coperni. It was the show of the season if people only remember the very last look that definitely is not going to be for sale. Yeah, well, you have to respect that. Like, I personally don't get the hype around their actual clothes that they manufacture, but this was a legendary fashion show moment. Very satisfying to watch. But while the way in which the dress was constructed was quite innovative, the end result wasn't a masterpiece like the Alexander McQueen spray paint dress that is that it has been so frequently compared to. Right. The, the brand is named after an astronomer. Obviously, they're inspired by 1960s Courage. So the material used to create the spray-on dress, we're also assuming you know exactly what we're talking about. At the end of the Caperni show... Bella Hadid came out in her underwear. These guys started to spray paint her. So the material that was used was developed by Spray-On Fabric Technology Company, Fabrican. Who knew that existed? It was founded in 2003 by Spanish scientist and fashion designer Manel Torres. Uh, the material is said to have a suede-like texture and can be used to create, customize, and repair clothes while also being strong enough to be reworn and washed. Yeah, it was very cool to watch. And we haven't had a major, like, moment like this at a fashion show, I think, since that Hussein Shalayan robot dress. But that had to be, like, over a decade ago at this point. Also, there was a Hussein Shalayan show from spring-summer 2016 where the dresses dissolved to reveal they were, like, overcoats and then right. they were watered down and then the overcoat dissolved into a dress. But to your point, the things that this fashion stunt, for lack of a better phrase, is referencing, the clothing outcome isn't as major as what it was trying to reference. Right. But the spectacle of it, absolutely fabulous. I think this will go down as one of those iconic moments. Like those other moments that aren't necessarily about technology, but like that Hussein Shalayan dress that was like a coffee table that turned into a skirt, or that Victor and Rolf Russian nesting doll collection. Like those to me are like those those ones that really, those big stunts that really stand out in my mind. And uh, I feel like this has entered into their 
their company. For sure. I think it also helps that they did this stunt on the most famous model who's having one of the best seasons right now. Like it all, just all the elements coalesce together. Totally. But yeah, the the show itself, I don't know. I mean, I think they have some cool accessories. I think there's some cool clothes. And I think it's important to note that this brand is not at the price point of a high-end luxury brand. It is very much a mid-range priced label. Like yeah. I think you can buy like a $500 dress or something like that, which is cool. Yeah, most of the bags are under $1,000. What I do appreciate about them for being such a young label is they have like a signature logo, essentially, just that's the Caperni C that's on yeah, I all think of their bags. I think it's pretty cute. Anyway. I assume you've added Stella McCartney to the discussion because her show was so reminiscent of her work at Chloe. Yeah, she brought back this very specific chain top that she designed for Chloe in the early 2000s, like when she was really still establishing herself as a fashion designer. It was the spring 2000 collection. You're, of course, talking to a Stella McCartney Chloe head here. But yeah, what a time that was. Because at that time, people were still talking about the fact that she was Paul McCartney's daughter, like all the time. That was still kind of like the main narrative. And she was also very young. Like the designers that were working at venerable Paris fashion houses like a Marc Jacobs, like a Michael Kors, were easily eight to 10 years older than her. Yeah. So she really did come out of nowhere, but it wasn't... She had like a baby face, like when she started at Chloe, even. I mean, she still looks the same. I assume that vegan diet... Yeah. But yeah, she brought back the chain top. She brought back these hip huggers with rhinestone embellishments. And she brought back Amber Valletta, who was in that original show, I think, was she, the person that wore the chain top. Yes, but she did not allow Amber Valletta <laughs> to wear the outfit she wore 22 years ago. She was like, we're getting a young model for that, okay? Which is fucked because Amber Valletta has never looked hotter. Like, she looks so hot in this show. It's, it's nuts. She looks great. It's funny because I feel like off mic recently we were having a conversation about how no one talks about Stella McCartney anymore. Well, that's because like there's not much to talk about. I don't know if she's like moving fashion forward in the same way that she was back in the day, but her clothes are needed in a sense. Like she makes just like a nice dress, a nice suit. Like you see Oprah in a Stella McCartney suit. You know, my mother-in-law bought a really beautiful Stella McCartney dress and wore it to a wedding. It like it's she just makes nice clothes. She's always been the person we saw that when she was at Chloe and we saw it in this collection of like, here's a very dainty $2,000 silk slip dress with an oversized blazer. And, you know, she has really pushed the needle forward when it comes to not using fur. Yeah, Yeah, sustainability too. And has been uh, employing those kind of sustainable practices for a long time now. It's certainly way ahead of other luxury houses. So that's cool. I mean, you always have to respect Stella. You have to also for the fact that she got her start at a bigger label, chose to do her own label, and that's all she does. She hasn't been canceled. She hasn't been kicked out of her own label. She hasn't gone back to a big house. She just does it in the way that, you know, like a Sonia Raquel, Betsy Johnson, like we don't have just female designers just sticking it out every day, (laughs) year after year at their own label. Yeah. It's true, we don't. And there were also those pieces with Yoshitomo Nara children paintings on them that were cute. I think those will sell very well. Yeah, people definitely buy that. Um, 
like Comme de Garçon. Yeah, like every season we it's talk just... about Comme de Garçon, but like I <laughs> I feel like comb is beyond fashion. Like there's no qualifying a good or bad comb collection. It just is. I definitely prefer the collections that have more clothes to the ones where the models just wear sculptures, but whatever clearly she has no interest in putting like normalish clothes on the runway which is fine because it's not like she doesn't make them like the stores are full of them right but well this was i think both of the things you dislike because it was only 18 looks of sculptural outfits <laughs> i've said it before and i've said it again it reminds me of clinical depression <laughs> watching these models like haul these dresses i'm putting that in quotes down the runway just seems like a metaphor for like the emotional baggage that we all carry with us throughout our lives and uh it makes me sad well some of these ensembles do look very close to the animated figures that they do put in depression commercials (laughs) It's so true. You do look like some of these, you know, can't walk very well. And then they're like blown by a gust of wind because that's how sad they are. (laughs) Yeah, I would just like to see a little more clothes because these pieces are only worn by the models in the show. And then they go straight to the mannequins in Dover Street Market where they're not available for sale. They just like chill there and we admire them. But I think there's something to be said for some actual clothes. If you could purchase them, would you, and would you just put it in your house as like a piece of art? No. Okay. You know what? We didn't put this in the dock, but another collection that reminded me of depression, but that I thought was fab was Yoji Yamamoto's collection. Right. Which was really, really elegant. And you can imagine these clothes on like actual human beings. I feel like sometimes when we talk about fashion shows, it's like we don't talk enough about people like that. Like Yoji just wants to make a nice black dress or like a nice trouser, you know? It's like Dries is the same way. They're not like those designers that are like clamoring for attention like some of the people we've discussed today and I feel like those shows don't really get enough recognition and yeah I thought that was really beautiful well I think someone that uh, rides the line between things that look like sculptures and things that are actually wearable would be Rick Owens yeah for sure who I feel like is today's Jean-Paul Gaultier, now that Jean-Paul stepped down from the label, just someone that is doing avant stuff that he's always been doing, but I feel like the world increasingly every season is coming more and more around to him. Yeah, and it always does seem like one of the cooler shows that's happens in Paris these days. Like I said on the pod last week that there are no bad Prada shows. I kind of feel like there aren't bad Rick shows either, and... Like, I'm the furthest thing from a Rick Owens consumer. I'm so not that girl, but I respect his point of view. He really has one. And um, there were some beautiful gowns in the show. Great gowns. Beautiful gowns. But you don't mean that in a passive-aggressive way. No. And I like like the extreme shoulder pads that make the models look like demons from hell. Yeah, I thought he was also expanding his color palette into hues that we don't normally see, like a pink, like a magenta. Well, he does color here and there, but whenever he does, it does feel special in a way that maybe it doesn't feel so special for other designers because it does feel very, like, considered and, like, rare when he does it, even though he he always does do it. There's usually, unless it's a collection that's, like, all black or all white or all gray or something, like, there's usually something, but... This show definitely had some good colorful moments. 
But I like how the last six looks are black gowns. He's like, I'm still a goth, okay? Yeah. Respect. And then finally, Balenciaga. Is it sad that when I saw the models trudging through what must have been several tons of mud, all I could think about was both Woodstock 99 documentaries? And how you just want to, <laughs> you'd want to experience watching them for the first time again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Demna has gotten increasingly political. This is obviously his statement about the impending slash already here ecological apocalypse that is upon us. Although in his world, everything is very muddy. Yeah. And Kanye opened the show, of course, looking like some guy that's been living off the grid and stockpiling weapons in some cabin. Do you remember, sorry, this is an aside, but that Jared Leto was in some sort of retreat with people that are obsessed with his band that everyone thinks is a cult, and he missed the beginning of the global shutdown during the pandemic. Oh yeah, I remember that. Anyway, that's what Kanye looks like. Yeah, the runway photos were pretty dark, and it's like kind of hard to see the actual clothes, but from what I could see, it looked good. Love that we need to talk about Kevin Teddy Bears. Fashion designers really love bears, and I think the Balenciaga bear could really like kick the shit out of the Moschino bear or the Tom Brown bear. It definitely has like a butterfly knife and it will do tricks in front of the Moschino bear and it's like, give me all your money. And it's like, yeah, I feel like if you got the Balenciaga teddy bear bag, like you just look over one day and its head would just be twisting slowly in the darkness. Like it's terrified. Although despite the post-apocalyptic vibe, there were legit pretty full-length dresses at the end. I mean, all of them got desecrated by the mud that the models had to um, to walk through. If you thought Kim was problematic for destroying Marilyn Monroe's happy birthday Mr. President dress, what will fashion historians say about like an entire Balenciaga collection being ruined? But whatever. I know. Um, I guess everything's going to be ruined in the future. So that's yes. what he's saying. Debna said, naturally, I'm an optimist, which I'm like, are you? <laughs> But I cannot be very optimistic right now. I think this show actually expresses that very much. The music, which was supposed to be terrifying. I have not seen the video of the show. The set, it spoke about the moment in which we live. A world where we're going to have to break into Mary Kate Olsen's house and rip up all of her mid-aughts motorcycle bags (laughs) to make clothing to stay warm, I guess. Well, that was major. Lauren's talking about the finale look which was yeah like a gown and gloves made from what looked like dozens of motorcycle bags so cool can we speak of the ascension of amelia gray hamlin as the new bella i know that's shocking i didn't even recognize her because i haven't looked her up since she started dating scott disick so yes when you texted me you were like this is scott's ex i'm like no no this is the daughter of lisa renna And what is astonishing to me, a Housewives fan about this is, for my Beverly Hills heads out there, Bella and Gigi started modeling when their mother was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And so you got to see that beginning. And then Lisa Renna, about a few years ago, started this storyline where it's like, well, now my daughters are going to be models like Bella and Gigi. 
And everyone in the audience, me included, was like, aw, Rena, you're so sweet. Your daughter's not gonna be like Bella Hadid. And guess what? Fuck Scott Disick for six months, you bleach your eyebrows, boom, supermodel. Yeah, she has a whole new look. I didn't even recognize her. But speaking of Beverly Hills, I saw one of your faves at the Stevie Nicks concert that I went to at the Hollywood Bowl the other night. Erica Jane? Mm-hmm. <gasps> And it was so great because I was um, waiting in line to get a drink and she like walked through the line to go to the bathroom and someone was like, oh my God, Erica, can I take a picture with you? And she was like, I don't have time for strangers to this woman's face and I was like Jesus Christ she's a cold ass bitch but it was delivered in a very campy way that was kind of funny at the same time sure so it wasn't like completely sadistic although it was definitely kind of sadistic but a weird energy to be bringing to the Stevie Nicks show yeah but there's always weird energy at Stevie Nicks shows like I forget about this I've seen her many times I've seen Fleetwood Mac many times I've seen her many times (laughs) And I always forget every fucking time about this certain contingent of Stevie Nicks fan, which is just like drunk woman in a floppy hat. Like in New York, it was always like from New Jersey was always a part of that. And in L.A., it's like from Orange County. Right. And it's just it's a weird energy. Well, quite like last week, there is one more fashion show to discuss. (laughs) Shall we play the theme? Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) Like, let's actually just not talk about this. (laughs) We shouldn't give him any more power, but... No, we're all complicit in this. I mean, obviously Kanye is doing these horrible, provocative things, but we're also giving him so much attention all the time. So it's like, why should he stop? Where do we want to begin with this because I have many thoughts. Well, I guess we should just state the basics, which is that he threw a fashion show in Paris for his his line Yeezy. The collection was designed in part by Shane Oliver from Hood by Air. It was a small show, like there was only I think like 50 people there or something. Yes, it was a last minute show of which Kanye talked about how difficult it was to mount and it's like, is it because you decided to do it 72 hours before it was put on and it's the middle of Paris Fashion Week? The collection was a mixed bag, and we can get into that in a bit, but the most noteworthy thing is that he put White Lives Matter tees on the runway, and on himself, and on Candace Owens, who attended the show, uh, which immediately sparked a lot of outrage. And even though there were many people that were disapproving of the collection who were in the room and outside of the room... Jaden Smith walked out when he saw the shirt on a model. Kanye focused his ire on stylist and Vogue contributing editor Gabriella Karifa Johnson, who was live Instagramming or after the show sort of posted her thoughts. Yeah, she just posted on Instagram stories. Right, which and she did say, these are my evolving opinions, but I have to say something. It wasn't like she was just like, fuck these clothes. Like she did a fairly nuanced read or actually a very nuanced read, but it pissed Kanye off and he, I don't know, posted a bunch of photos of her saying she wasn't a fashion person. Right. Well, dragging her Vanita Carter Timberland boots. Um, saying, I know Anna doesn't think this is fashionable, which is like, But Anna doesn't think people who wear black are fashionable. Like, whatever. 
But he had this public show. So he is continues. I mean, he is still posting as we are recording, but he seems to be upset that even though he has created something in the public space, invited the public, that anyone that says anything negative is wrong and we should all be supporting him. Yeah. Because as he knows, as someone who's been a creative artist for 20 years, that's how that works. Yeah. It's clear that he can't really take criticism, which is crazy because if you're going to do something that is this, I don't even want to say provocative, because I do think that his intent was to piss people off. He didn't do this naively. Yeah, but also I think because everyone has given him attention for the last 15 years, he keeps doing it. And I've seen a lot of discourse that's like he's gone too far. He's gone way too far. I mean, I think starting with the Taylor stuff, whether the MTV or the famous lyric debacle, like pick one. But I think this is the first time the powers that be, whether it's Anna, the fashion community at large, media is like, No, we're not going with you this time. And to say that he's being provocative, like, I don't think there's any meaning behind white lives matter because he's so anti-intellectual. I mean, he proudly says he doesn't read a book and I feel like he's allowing others to imbue it with a sociopolitical meaning and then just being like, yeah, that's what I meant. Like today he posted this thesis that Vanessa Beecroft wrote about the shirt that is like a quasi-thoughtful interpretation of it. But I don't think... Kanye would be able to articulate that that's that this is the reason he's doing it no because it's one thing to take racist iconography and successfully recontextualize it right like and this isn't like the first time something like this has ever happened like in the past we've seen rappers appropriate the confederate flag we've seen black fashion designers like patrick kelly appropriate racist caricatures in his branding and in his designs but i think in the case of someone like patrick kelly he did successfully recontextualize that image and he imbued it with a sense of joy whereas kanye's white lives matter tease don't feel like a subversion so much as a cosign or at least that's what came across to the people that saw it well and it, he, d- it does feel nihilistic but even him wearing the make america great hat would be subversive if there wasn't a photo of him hugging donald trump because you're correct this white lives matter t-shirt just feels like a cosign on white supremacy yeah it does but at the same time, it's like, who am I to say as a, as a white person, what racist shit a black man can appropriate for his art? Well, he seems to be doubling down that the Black Lives Matter movement is a scam and the foundation is a scam. So it's not... <laughs> also, it's it, not... Yeah, no, it's not good. There's also, nothing good about this. Also, white, all white lives matter except the Kardashians? I'm confused here. Yeah. White lives matter except my wife and my children who are half white, because as we all know, the Kardashians kidnapped Chicago on her birthday. Well, also, where does the Pope figure into this? Because on the front of the White Lives Matter shirt, it's just like a a t-shirt of the Pope that's the kind you would buy outside the Vatican or something. You know, it looks like a bootleg t-shirt. I've never understood Yeezy, although I can't deny its influence, but I feel like he's treading on the same concepts that he was seven or eight years ago. And if you look at his contemporaries, they have moved on. They've innovated. Like I look at someone like Demna and doing Balenciaga Couture. Like I just feel like he's the last one at the 
party and it's sad. Yeah, but also I feel like he just didn't execute this well. You know what I mean? There's I'm not saying there's a way to make a good White Lives Matter shirt because I don't think that's possible. I don't know if that's possible, but whatever he was trying to do or say, I don't think he achieved, or maybe he did, because when you have like someone like Candace Owens wearing a shirt like that, you're not removing it from his from its original context. Like the Vogue editor that he cyber bullied was making the point that these shirts are kind of different than the MAGA hats because with the MAGA hat, she was liking it to Duchamp's like concept of ready-made objects. And so when Kanye wears the MAGA hat, it like places something in a different context. Whereas this is different because it's like you're literally just producing White Lives Matter shirts. Yeah, I just think that this era of logo flipping, ironic, Dadaist luxury clothing items is done. And he doesn't really have any other concepts. And I think that to Kanye, all of this makes sense, but it doesn't. But, you know, it's like it worked, though. Like if his goal was to get attention, which I suspect it was, he's gotten a lot of attention. Well, Kanye has a lot of intentions. He's trying to change the schooling system. (laughs) He's trying to launch... Yeezy a standalone brands. He's trying to get himself out of uh, the Adidas and Gap deals. End homelessness. Change uh, rights for fathers. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay, so the Gabriella stuff, you know, Gigi Hadid came to her defense. She commented on Kanye's post, you wish you had a percentage of her intellect. You have no idea, ha ha ha. If they're actually a point of any of your shit, she might be the only person that could save you. Um, and then she called him a bully and a joke, which then he went after Gigi Hadid. This got so messy that evidently Anna Wintour had to step in, and Kanye revealed that he and Gabriella had a meeting that Anna Wintour witnessed and Baz Luhrmann filmed. Okay, what? To which I say, release the Baz cut. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like a CGI carnival. That I don't understand because why Baz, doesn't Vogue just have like an in-house video team and shouldn't they just be in Paris anyway? Like, what's that about? I don't know, but I can't wait to see this. That was yesterday. It seems like today he's reversed course and he's going after her by saying, I still don't think you have any sense of style. But also completely unrelated to the White Lives Matter shirt. He just has a lot going on with I mean, he said that the shit about Virgil. Right, which uh, Tremaine Emery, the current Supreme designer, went after him for. Well, he basically said that, wait, which one? I don't want to fuck it up again. Which Arnaud or Pino? Uh, Bernard Arnaud. He basically said that, or not basically, he literally said that Bernard Arnaud killed Virgil, which is probably the most sensational thing he's ever said. And that Bernard Arnault, the richest man in France, the co-founder of LVMH, is his new Drake. So this is this seems to stem from as someone that is like trying to make sense of all of these posts. I guess after Yeezy season one, one of Bernard Arnault's sons was like, you should buy Yeezy. They were going to, there was a deal term she sent around and then Bernard Arnault rescinded that offer. I wonder why, given Kanye's behavior. Uh, So that is why he's after Bernard Arnault. He also says that Bernard Arnault sent Tremaine Emery after him. Which is insane. 
Tremaine being the founder of Denim Tears, the creative director of Supreme, who was basically like, stop talking about Virgil. You didn't even go to his funeral. You talked shit on his designs in front of the Yeezy staff. And I have proof like it's just really the whole situation is just so crazy. And then Kanye went through that post and found like every one of his like every person in his orbit that liked it and then just kind of like blasted them on Instagram. Well, specifically all of the Balenciaga people. Uh, and now he's saying that Demna's being controlled and that Kanye put Balenciaga on the map. Yeah. Also, at some point in all of this, Khloe Kardashian commented uh, saying, please stop doing this. Please pushing, please stop pushing the narrative that Kim kidnapped one of your daughters on her birthday. Like you had, you wanted to do your own birthday party when you wanted to come to Kim's, you were allowed to be here. Like, please stop this. Yeah. This birthday party is the hill that Kanye is willing to die on for some reason. The only way to stop this is to stop giving him attention. And I feel like we need to stop talking about him. Well, yeah, but we're not going to. We should. I, and I say we, not just you and me. I say, like, I mean everyone. Yeah, should we check Instagram in case there's another flagrant th- thing he's posted that we've missed? Oh, that's right. He's going after Anna Wintour now. I considered Anna to be an industry friend, but all her dolls had something to say. To say It was cool for Gab to give her opinion on my art and say she didn't like it. But when I rebutted, I was made out to be a bully. I mean... You were being a bully. Like, <laughs> yeah, you literally cyber bullied this woman. Also, her critiquing your work and then you going after the way she looks is not the same. Yeah. Anyway, and she allowed all that, but watch from the sidelines when the Kardashians kidnap my child on her birthday. So he's <laughs> saying that Anna Wintour. I mean, this is such paranoid talk, right? Like, because well, yeah, because early on in this Instagram, I don't even know what to call it, meltdown. It's like he started sort of like merging the children's birthday thing and the White Lives Matter thing into a single issue. As he's done recently. Yeah. The other crazy post that, again, has no context is Tucker Carlson just visited the Yeezy offices. It's like, please give him a makeover. <laughs> if anyone needs a makeover, it's, it's Tucker Carlson. It's not going in a good direction. Also, just for the brand of Yeezy, I don't see where it's going to go because the reason that he's even able to potentially operate Yeezy on his own, if he was ever able to extricate himself from Adidas, is the residual money he got from that. But the reason that he went to Adidas and Gap is because of their supply chains. I'm sorry, but the man that like moved his entire design team to Wyoming and then eight months later decided he didn't want to live there anymore. I can't see him being able to build a consistent supply chain and keep it running. And I can't see him keeping the people on the business side, the operations side, like happy, you know, like he's not going to be able to work with those people. Also, who wants to work with a person that if you say the wrong thing to him, you're going to wake up being cyberbullied and all your personal information, your LinkedIn profile is suddenly going to be on Instagram for millions of people to see. Yeah. It's like being Donald Trump's lawyer. It's an all-lose situation. <laughs> all right. 
Shall we get into the Kardashian episode? Yeah, less, less dark Kardashian news. Well, before we get into the new episode, which I actually didn't watch, um, I just want to say Kylie's Paris Fashion Week looks have been incredible. Well, she wore the, the dress from that London label we loved. Yeah, the Delara um, Findicaloo. I still don't know how to say this woman's name, but and I, if I think you, it's fabulous. And if you do, please call into the hotline. Yeah. She also wore a really beautiful acne gown. She had a great Mugler custom. Like, she could surpass Kim if she keeps going in this direction. Well, unlike Kim, she's actually wearing different designers, which makes her interesting in photographs. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think maybe going forward, given the output I'm seeing from the Kardashians, maybe one of us, we switch off each week of who watches the Kardashian and who doesn't, because... This, yet again, was a filler episode. And it felt very much like a Modern Family episode where we're going to pair off each of the characters to go on their own adventures. Right. So you have Kim and Kendall in Milan. Kendall is stuck in her hotel room because nobody can see her hair before this Prada show, which I think is especially funny because at the Prada show, they decided just to, like, harshly slick her hair back and the way that the lighting was, you couldn't really tell that her hair was dyed at first. But No, I didn't realize that's when the hair debuted at all. Yeah. Kim going to an Italian restaurant and I think asking what tortellini is. I went back and rewinded it because I was like, <laughs> is she asking what kind of tortellini they're having? She then in her interview is like, I'm a flex of vegan, which means like most times I'm vegan, but sometimes I'm just not. Kim goes shopping for a gift for Pete, so I guess we are going to get Pete-related content. Great. Because I guess the editors just burst into tears and was like, we can't edit around this. Just deal with it, lady. You have Chris and Chloe at the La Quinta house. They go to a Mexican restaurant we've never been to, Chelsea, and we must go to. It's In Palm Springs? I don't... It must be Palm Springs or La Quinta. They What's like, it called? Do we know? Oh, I forget. I got to remember it. But it looks like Casa Vega or El Coyote. Oh, okay. And I can't believe we've never been there before. The big thing is that Chris's hip is hurting her, so they go to a weed shop in Palm Springs, which Chris being, you know, the true boomer that she is, likes to joke about how it's not illegal anymore. Oh, my God, can I get arrested holding this? Chloe, you hold this because you've been arrested before. And the funniest anecdote from that is that I guess in Chris's office is a framed photo of Chloe's mugshot. That's funny. What's going on with Courtney? Courtney does a bustle shoot and discusses her weight gain where she says, now she's only five foot, although I am. So she's probably gained like 10 pounds or something. She says at her thinnest she was 95 and now she's 115 pounds. So she either gained 20 pounds or 10 pounds. Yeah, because she says her new normal was 105. I don't know. I'm 5'3 and only weigh a few pounds less than Courtney's current weight. So right, I'm a little confused. And then Kylie does a photo shoot for her lip oils, which we see that clip that has been in all of the trailers where she's got new mom brain. And she's like, people love my nipples. I mean, lip oils. And that was the episode. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> okay. See, I take your word for it. Both of us did not need to watch this. Okay. So next Point week, taken. you'll watch it, and then you'll just tell me what happens. Sure. Um, did you listen to Kim's podcast, though? See, I had to watch this episode. I only had so much time. Um, I got halfway through the first episode. I started the second episode on the way here, but I haven't finished it yet. I mean, sure, I don't listen to true crime podcasts, so I don't really have any 
way to like I can't tell if it's good or not for that genre because every time I try and listen to one I listen to like the first episode and a half and then I miss something and don't understand the crime and then I just give up is anyone else like this that that checks out I mean it's definitely in the style of a serial where Kim is the one narrating the podcast and she's also interfacing with you mean serial like the podcast yes not like the breakfast food. Yes. <laughs> Talking about Correct. Sarah Coin and Serial, where Kim is the narrator, but she's also the person interfacing with the subject of the podcast. And like Serial, it's about someone that was wrongfully convicted of murder. In this case, multiple murders. Because, And I guess she started this podcast because she wants to bring attention to this case. What is this guy's name? We should mention that. Yes, the man's name is Kevin Keith. The podcast full title is Kim Kardashian's The System, The Case of Kevin Keith. I mean, sure. Why not? She's obviously doing this to bring attention to his case. He's still in jail. I don't think we've had someone who's authentically, a celebrity who's been authentically able to spin out a kind of philanthropic social justice career as authentically since Angelina Jolie. Like someone you wouldn't consider would do something selfless i don't know how to for eat. sure because she's definitely not doing this because she has a lifelong dream of breaking into podcasting you know certainly that but i think her focus on the criminal justice system i think she's as she will admit she loves fame but she's found this authentic channel to actually bring about change using her social cachet yeah it's great i mean she literally got trump to get someone out of prison no it's very cool You can not like her and not like Trump, but when she did that, you got to hand it to her. Yeah, because that woman would still be in jail. It's going to be such a happy day when she graduates law school. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm so invested at this point. I'm glad. Well, when she, yeah, when she passes the bar. Yeah, she passed the baby bar. I think she has a year left in her non law school, law school. Yeah. I think she's wisely not going to get a boyfriend. I say this next week, she's seen with, (laughs) with someone, but. I think she should focus on those kids that she, according to Kanye, has 80% of the time and finish this law degree and do her podcast. What I would really- And make really expensive tissue holders. Oh yeah, we didn't get to that. It's not in our document to talk about. But yeah, the the skin-related vanity line, tissue boxes, Waste basket. Yeah. Yeah, a little like orb that holds like cotton, like not balls, what are they called? The little- The pad things. Swabs? Cotton rounds. Rounds. That's what I'm looking for. Rounds. All right. Well, we're certainly getting a little... It's that time of the podcast where we're getting a little punch drunk. Yeah, I'm getting loopy. Um, Well, this has been fun. And uh, I'm I'm sure this episode will be irrelevant by the time it's actually uploaded because of whatever Kanye shit will happen in the next 10 hours. It's fine. We'll we'll hop back on the mics if there's anything worthy of discussing. But I'm either that or let's never discuss it again. I can't decide. That's what I'm saying. But then do we have to take the ha out of the theme song? Uh, Very good point. Only time will tell. Let's be honest. As we know that this pops up like once a quarter. It feels like more than that at this point. Maybe I'm just being hopeful. Anyway, guys, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. All right, bye. Bye. (laughs) 